Welcome to Inside Tech with Herbert Smith Freehills. I'm Amalia Stone, Special Counsel in our Corporate Intellectual Property Practice. And I'm Michael Coots, Solicitor in our Competition Practice. In today's episode, we're talking about pricing algorithms, in particular the potential anti-competitive effect of price algorithms, as well as the privacy risks associated with data. Competition authorities around the world are rapidly reviewing their competition laws to reflect the digital economy, so it's important for organisations using or looking to use pricing algorithms to ensure you're not at risk. Michael, perhaps you could outline what a pricing algorithm is and who uses them. Sure. A pricing algorithm is a sequence of rules that uses inputs to set dynamic rather than static prices for products. So for example, you could have an algorithm that says, when inventory of my product drops below a certain level X, increase price to Y. Or alternatively, you could have an algorithm that says, when my competitor A decreases their price to Z, match that price. Pricing algorithms are really prevalent within some online retail markets, like hotel booking and the travel, retail, sport and entertainment industries. Amazon was one of the first companies to price algorithmically, which seriously disrupted some of its rivals. So try this on for size. In November 2013, 52,956 price changes were made by Best Buy and 54,633 changes were made by Walmart in that month. In December 2013, just one month later, Amazon was implementing more than 2.5 million price changes every day. Wow, every day, that's a lot of price changes. Maybe you could talk a bit about the reasons why making that many price changes through use of a pricing algorithm might be so effective. What's the company taking advantage of by making that many price changes? So there are a couple of things. The first one is that companies are looking to optimise price based on their available stock and actual and anticipated demand. So for example, if a firm prices a product too cheaply, leading to a significant rapid purchasing of that product, an algorithm could allow for an upward adjustment to the price. Similarly, if a firm prices a product too expensively, leading to low rates of purchasing, then an algorithm can expedite a downward adjustment to the price. The other thing that an algorithm does is it allows firms to price based on willingness to pay for particular consumers or categories or segments of consumers if they are able to understand a consumer's background and shopping habits. So essentially, you predict how price sensitive a certain type of consumer might be. Mm, Sounds very effective, but is it legal? It's absolutely legal, but there are certain risks to be aware of in implementation. Mm -hmm. So from a competition law perspective, there's a risk around collusion. And so collusion refers to coordinated conduct between competitors. And it falls into, say, a few different categories that you might think of along a spectrum. So at one end of the spectrum is conduct that is unambiguously collusive. And so you're talking about cartel arrangements there. Mm -hmm. So agreements to fix prices, share markets, or restrict outputs. Mm -hmm. Activity that's least likely to represent collusion would be at the other end of this spectrum. So things where a business makes a unilateral, independent decision about what it's going to do. And then in the middle, you have a lot of ambiguous conduct. So for competition law purposes, to constitute collusion, the relevant arrangement needs to have a meeting of the minds. And so what that means is that what you might call conscious parallelism or tacit collusion, where competitors independently take actions due to a consistent but not agreed strategy, is not usually caught by competition law. And so that's something that you often see in markets that have certain structural factors, so particularly oligopolies. And while some forms of algorithmic collusion clearly contravene competition law, 
in many other instances, it's less clear. So I think I might talk now about where you could run into trouble if you're using pricing algorithms. All right. And so the first thing is that a pricing algorithm could be used to make an explicitly collusive agreement, a cartel, more stable. So, bit of background. Agreements involve the exchange of assurances about future intentions on the part of the parties, either through an explicit agreement, cartel or contract, or an arrangement or understanding. So it's not written, but there is a meeting of the minds. And algorithms that execute an offline collusive agreement will likely be dealt with under existing laws and are no less illegal just because they've happened online. And there's a great example of this from a UK case that's referred to as the posters case. And that involved algorithms being used to control the price of certain entertainment posters and frames that were sold on Amazon. And so there were two relevant suppliers here, Trod and GB. And Trod and GB reached an agreement where GB was a retailer and wholesaler, including to Trod. And following complaints from Trod that GB was pricing too aggressively, the two parties decided that they would not undercut each other's prices for products sold on Amazon. But cartels are inherently unstable because there's always an incentive to cheat to try and get a better price than your competitor mm. who's putting their prices too high. And so after a short period of trying to implement this arrangement manually, the parties decided the way that they would ensure they could trust one another was through an automated repricing software, which was configured to give effect to the arrangement. Right. So what happened was to strengthen the detection and retaliation conditions that are necessary for an agreement, Trod and GB used the repricing software to follow one another's pricing on a daily basis. And it was incredibly successful, and the cartel only ended when GB went and sought leniency and disclosed the actual cartel. Right. The other thing that caressing algorithms could be used for is they could lead to new forms of tacit collusion. So this is something that's not presently illegal, but is an area of real focus for competition authorities. And essentially, the argument goes that in the digital economy, algorithmic pricing can lead to an increased risk of the structural factors that you see in something like an oligopoly, which makes conscious parallelism or tacit collusion more likely. And the fact that competition law tolerates that tacit collusion doesn't mean that it's desirable. And so regulators are really concerned about this. So to give you an example, there were two sellers who put a textbook called The Making of a Fly for sale on Amazon. And this is a real example, by the way. And the first seller, just by coincidence, automatically set the price of their textbook to be 1.27 times the price of the second seller, who shortly thereafter, purely by coincidence, set the price of their textbook to be 0.998 times the price of the first seller. And what happened over a really short period was the price spiraled upwards, reaching a peak of $23 million. $23 million. Yeah, crazy, right? And that was purely because there was a lack of sanity checks within those algorithms, rather than any kind of anti-competitive intent. However, it demonstrates the kind of thing that competition authorities are really worried about. So where you're left with is that if you have an agreement that's explicitly collusive, that will be a problem. But there's potential risk for competition regulators from algorithms that are not explicitly collusive, but could lead to an undesirable outcome. However, there are also other things that regulators are worried about, particularly in relation to data that the platforms feed into the algorithms. That's right. Let me talk a bit about what kind of data is being used by the algorithms and why regulators might be concerned. 
As he said, pricing algorithms work most effectively for a vendor when you have comprehensive data, not just about the product they're offering, for instance, the scarcity of stock, cost of product to the vendor, but also data about the willingness of a consumer to pay at a certain price point. If you have all of that data, the pricing algorithm can offer not just dynamic pricing in response to the market overall, but personalised pricing tailored to an individual consumer. So a pricing algorithm might be constructed to adjust an offered price based on information about an individual's location, gender, age, biometric health information and medical history, browsing history, for instance, whether you've come straight to a website to shop or via a deals website, and whether you've got any history with that website. So Amalia, some of that makes sense to me about how a website could get that information, but how are vendors getting some of that other consumer information? Sure. Some of that information, as you said, is pretty obvious. You're getting it straight from the consumer to the website, and it's all very transparent that you're giving that information to the website for that purchase. So, for instance, you might be asked to log into a website to transact or create a profile, and the sort of information you might have to give is personal information like your name, your address, and usually a credit card. You might assume that your address and your credit card might be used to change the price, for instance, to local currency and allow any sort of processing fee that's relevant to your credit card. And the website's privacy policy should be telling the consumer about that use of that sort of personal information. Okay, so that's transparent information. What about other information? That's a good question. Some platforms have comprehensive information about consumers because the consumers have provided that information to them subject to the terms of the privacy policies they have. So, for instance, you might have filled out a more complete profile about your preferences However, it's been reported that some of those platforms gather data about consumers when they're visiting third-party websites which have platform APIs embedded in them, those application processing interfaces. They send data back to the platform who can then aggregate that specific information about what you've done on that website with information collected about you on the particular platform. So, for instance, my social media platform might collect information about the news sites I visit or my purchase of a mosquito repellent shirt from an online outdoor <laughs> clothing shop through that little piece of the API. Facebook calls this the Facebook Pixel and Google talk about Google Analytics. LinkedIn even has its widget and it's reported that WeChat tracks data in other ways. That social media platform then has a bunch of information about you that could be offered for a price to other third-party websites who might want to show me, for instance, price-adjusted ads for other adventure-related gear or airplane tickets to exciting places. So all of that might mean the pricing algorithm can work very effectively to offer a very targeted price to a particular consumer, which if you're that consumer might be terrific if you're being offered a discount because who doesn't love a bargain, or terrible if the algorithms identified you as being a bad credit risk or otherwise vulnerable in some way to making a particular purchase at a particular price point which you wouldn't otherwise want to pay. Yeah, and I guess while that really targeted pricing practice isn't necessarily an issue under competition law, the ACCC, who enforces competition law in Australia, has still expressed concerns about that potential lack of transparency. On 26 July 2019, the ACCC released its final report for the Digital Platforms Inquiry. The final report and its 23 recommendations focus mainly on three categories of digital platforms, online search engines, social media platforms, and other digital content aggregation platforms, 
and on the influence of Google and Facebook on advertisers, media content creators, and consumers in particular. The ACCC voiced concern over the growth in the collection of data on consumers by digital platforms as a means of enabling highly targeted price discrimination. The ACCC noted that there is limited evidence to suggest that this is currently occurring on a very detailed basis, but retailers have set prices based on broader demographic categories, such as location, website history, and interaction with discount aggregators. However, the ACCC also pointed out that some online vendors are beginning to use more sophisticated technologies, such as fingerprinting systems, to track the activities of users across multiple browsers. That's right. Those are those APIs I mentioned earlier. Mm. Other technologies which increase the amount of data available for purposes of price discrimination include Internet of Things devices like smartwatches and voice-active devices such as Google Home. Who hasn't had the experience when you've been discussing a product or movie or something with friends, turned on your phone and been presented with an ad that seemed uncannily on point? There's been proliferation of articles recently about collection of data through monitoring of audio through devices. Wow. Here's a tip. Check the permissioning you've given to your device as a first step if you've had that experience. The ACCC was also concerned about the way in which consumer consent is sought, if it is sought, that transparency issue we talked about earlier. Platforms often use the equivalent of click-wrap agreements on a take-it-or-leave-it basis. You either accept, by your continued use of the platform, the long and complex terms and conditions allowing use of data and tracking of your activity by the platform and the persons to whom it gives access, or you don't get to use the platform. The ACCC suggests that such agreements exploit the behavioural biases of consumers to acceptance of terms which might include price discrimination clauses without considering their effects. They've also raised the spectre of unfair terms and lack of transparency, and under the Australian consumer law, a contract term with a consumer that's not readily understandable or goes beyond what's necessary to protect the legitimate interests of the business runs the risk of being unfair and void. So on this basis, the ACCC recommends stronger consent requirements for businesses wanting to use personal information, along with improvements to consent processes, to try to minimise the difficulty of understanding what consent actually means for an individual consumer. So that's the kind of competition and consumer law protection that the ACCC is responsible for. Doesn't the Privacy Act give consumers a bit of help here too? That's right. Since May 2018, European consumers have had a lot more help due to the GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation, and that regime has extraterritorial effect, so it is relevant to Australian businesses if you're dealing with EU personal data. For instance, if you monitor or sell products to EU residents, or practically speaking, if dealing with EU companies who have to comply with it and will make you do it too. In brief, you need express consent to track EU residents. It's not generally enough to just cover this in a privacy policy. You need the EU resident to clearly consent to what you're doing. And there are hefty maximum fines available of up to 20 million euros or 4% of annual worldwide turnover, whichever greater, for some kinds of breaches. It's not a toothless tiger. Mm. It can be difficult for an Australian business to know whether a particular consumer trying to interact online and in relation to which you want to use a pricing algorithm is an EU resident to whom this higher standard and the higher fines apply. Then, of course, there's the Australian privacy legal regimes. It's certainly going to protect use of information that would be able to be used to identify an individual, a fair amount of that data that the algorithm wants to be able to use. So you need to set out in your privacy policies, amongst other things, what information you're collecting that's personal information, how you're collecting and storing it, how you're using it, and to whom the information's provided. 
They do provide that an entity must not collect personal information unless reasonably necessary for one or more of the entity's functions or activities. And there are fines available too under the Australian Privacy Act. Although there are proposals to increase them to $10 million, they're currently much lower, 420000 on the other hand, it's unclear anyway how far the definition of personal information to which the Australian privacy principles apply would go to cover the information the privacy algorithms want to use about a particular consumer. There's a requirement that personal information be about an individual in such a way that they're the subject matter of the information. So some of the pricing algorithm information might be excluded from the protections afforded from the Australian privacy principles. For instance, an IP address, which a pricing algorithm would be able to use to determine a consumer's location, has been held not to be personal information in the context of internet usage on mobile phones, where an IP address can change frequently in the course of communication as you move around because the information is too ephemeral. So, to wrap up then, Amalia, what are the top three things for a consumer to think about? Be mindful of what data you're disclosing when online, not just from a privacy point of view, but also a best price point of view. Before you're purchasing, check prices using a private or incognito browser or clear your cookies to ensure you're getting the best deal. Using VPNs or mail forwarding services for another country might breach the terms of the website with which you're transacting, so be mindful of that. Think about doing a health check on the websites and social media platforms where you share the most sensitive information that could be used to your financial detriment. Check that privacy policy. And if you can't identify how information is used, think about asking questions, stopping use or deleting your account. Facebook's just announced they're trialling a feature that allows consumers in test jurisdictions to manage external browsing data that the Facebook pixel collects and potentially have that browsing data disassociated from your profile, which might mean it can't be used for personalised pricing for you. Check your social media platforms and see if you have that option to run dark. Finally, the ACCC and other regulators in this space are watching the behaviour of digital platforms and websites using pricing algorithms with big data, and they're interested in your feedback. So, Michael, top three things for an Australian company using pricing algorithms to think about. Number one, remember that anti-competitive agreements or collusion that are illegal in an offline context will still be illegal in a digital context. Number two, think about the information you are using with the pricing algorithms from where that information has been sourced and with what caveats. Think about doing a privacy health check to confirm that where you are using information that is personal information under any privacy regime protecting individuals who use your website, you have the appropriate privacy consent. Likewise, think about doing a reputational health check too in relation to information that you have sourced from third parties that maps a consumer's online behaviour. Even if it isn't personal information that is subject to a regulation under a privacy regime, is it information that a consumer would expect you to have and use in the way you're using it? How would you respond to a consumer query about use of that information? Make sure you have an answer ready. And lastly, watch this space. The regulatory landscape is developing quickly and significant changes might be around the corner. Well, thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Inside Tech with Herbert Smith-Freehills. And to find out more about this topic, please visit hsf.com.
Inside Tech is a podcast by Herbert Smith Freehills, providing business leaders with insights on the advancements in technology that are transforming business models, the workforce and the global economy. Tune in for episodes on digital transformation, cybersecurity, data, technology and the ensuing regulatory changes. For more of our latest thinking, please visit our Inside Tech Hub on www.hsf.com.